This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Swings here and he drives one deep in the center. Puig is racing back, still going back. He looks up, it's gone! Over the center field wall for Hunter Pence. Pence will touch them all and score them all. A grand slam for Hunter Pence. It's not easy when it's tough. That's when you find out what you're made of. You get so much Brisby in your ears if you want it. If you want Brisby, oh gosh, you get it. Anybody want coffee? I'm making coffee. Anybody want? Yes! 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 I'm a frequent coffee drinker. I'm part of the club. I have a card. You're listening to The Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 13 of The Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70 celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. I am Grant Brisby. I am here with Hunter Pence. Hunter, how are you doing today? Grant, I am so excited as usual because it's been such an amazing week of baseball and so many things to talk about. For me, this last week has just been incredible. The whole substance thing, pitchers and their reactions, umpires, managers, there's all sorts of fun stuff. Wander Franco getting called up. A great conversation I had with my brother. So I'm very excited. Grant, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Yeah, no, it's funny. We had a topic for this show, and then we had Tuesday, Tuesday night, when they started really checking the pitchers, and they started uh, checking them again, and in Max Scherzer's case, checking them three times, four times in the middle of an inning. There was a kerfuffle with Joe uh, uh, Girardi and Scherzer, and somehow, like, Scherzer's reaction wasn't even the best reaction of the night. Like, he was fired up, and he was, and I thought, man, that's going to be a classic. That's going to be a meme. And then, like, Sergio Romo out them later, but what were your thoughts about Scherzer Girardi Gate? You know what? Like, I couldn't really tell what was going on, but I don't know why they're checking him more than what already is because it already seems like a ridiculous amount of checks. It seems a little wild to me, and I mean, I'm maybe I'm an old schooler, and I know that like players are extremely resistant to all changes, and then sometimes they change their mind later, but like. As soon as like a, a big change is implemented like this, there's going to be major resistance. You know, maybe we get used to this. Are we going to do this like three checks a game every for the rest of baseball forevermore? Like, it's hard for me to believe that. And then adding checks on top of that, that is a little bit much. And I could see why someone would get heated. But I don't I didn't see the whole story other than what I saw in the highlights. I heard a couple of theories. Someone was like, well, he's just trying to get into Max Scherzer's head. And I don't think that Max Scherzer is a head you can necessarily get into. Like when you're talking about multiple Cy Youngs, when you're talking about the focus, the hyper-focused way that he goes about pitching, making him mad seems like a bad idea. So if you're going to check in the middle of an inning with no penalties, I mean, I guess you can just ask to check in the middle of an inning. That seems both bad as far as strategy and bad as far as, not ethics, but it's kind of icky, like an unwritten rule. Like, don't do that. Yeah, I can't get behind it, to be honest with you. I'm not like, ooh, that was the move that you needed to make. Now, one thing that I did notice within like the highlights that I saw of, of this incident was the ball that went way up and into bomb. And this, to me, is where like if pitchers like have their normal stuff, but we, we're going to say on a hunch that now that they're being checked that they're not going to be using stuff. And I think we're going to see a lot more of those than we usually do. I definitely don't think that Scherzer did that on purpose. But if you like, that could maybe get a team heated or whatever the case may be. But now that they don't have sticky, that's just going to happen more because the balls are slippery. 
And that's where, like, where my argument is kind of like, it, it's so tough to take this argument because there is, people take it too far. There is a, a mild amount of like grip that you want the pitchers to add to that ball that they know where the ball's going when they're throwing it versus like this, uh, you know, this, the whatever, like, I, I don't even know what it's called, the Gorilla Glue or the whatever super tar that like actually is like, a, like changing the, the ball movement. Uh, and the spin rate, but uh, as far as like them having a grip with like suntan and rosin or whatever. Anyway, long story short, there was a ball up and into bomb. I don't know if that had anything to do it, but I can't get behind adding on top of the already three checks a game or, or however many it is to try to be like some kind of mental warfare. You're gonna do that every game? Like it doesn't make sense. Yeah, and a lot of what I hear is is when you're a hardline anti-substance uh, person on the internet, it's one of the things is well, pitchers need to learn not to to have better command. You know, pitchers need to if they don't have their stuff, well, that's on them. They got to learn. And okay, maybe baseball evolves and maybe baseball adjusts to where pitchers with better inside command are valued more. But you're not just gonna like make a train do a U-turn. Like you know what I mean? Like it's not something that's gonna happen overnight. It would be an adjustment period of guys getting hit, of pitchers who have this triple-digit velocity, which is so in vogue and, and so common now, just not knowing necessarily where it's going. It's not like you can tell them, well, don't pitch inside anymore, because that's their game. That's their bread and butter. That's how they're going to make their earnings and their careers and, you know, set their generation, their families up, you know, like that's what they're going to do. So they're not going to just stop throwing inside. And it means that more players are going to get hit. And I think it's going to get kind of ugly. And I, I would just like there to be a universal substance that, that pitchers can use. Buxton, broken hand, like three games back from being back on the IL. These balls are going to get away, and your players that you love to watch are going to be on the on the injured list. I mean, we're going to have to wait and see it pan out, you know, but like I like when pitchers can like have command. Personally, I actually don't even mind the circus pitches that sometimes come up from the crazy substances because it's sometimes fun to watch the, these crazy circus pitches that they throw, and also it's cool to see how people hit them. But you know what? Like That's just me, and, and I think it's entertaining. Like I used to play as a kid with these like crazy wiffle balls. I think we had this like pro-nerf ball that had like super turbo spins or like you watch those wiffle ball things and sometimes you see pitchers that look like they're throwing that like you know and I'm not going to say that that someone was using this stuff but some of Chris Sale's pitches in his heyday were like really unique and uh, fun to watch and it was fun to face it was like that ball just took a crazy turn like it's I, as a hitter I enjoyed that a little bit you know, as a kid, I could tell the difference between the kids who had a brother of a similar age and a backyard, that combination. I had a brother who was much older, not into baseball and uh, no backyards to speak of. And so when I would face kids who had experience throwing wiffle balls, it was like I was moving from single A up to the majors, the stuff they could do on it. And I just had no experience. Like they had ways to scuff it and they had ways to, to spin it and they're cutting in on me. Like, I don't think I, I ever hit one of my, my buddy's wiffle balls like made contact with it just impossible yeah i played so many tape ball wiffle ball games it's like how you align the little air holes and stuff like can make the ball <laughs> go different directions and that's like my childhood and actually we're doing it i'm out i'm out at the the beach right now and we're playing wiffle ball on the beach it's so fun oh, with the, the nibbling so anyway i'm a big fan of all of that fun stuff i like the ball moving a lot i like swings and misses and i like when you connect with it because spinning balls go a long ways you know but I am interested. It's another story. It's craziness. Like, I'm not one of these people that has this huge opinion. Other, Like, obviously, I, I think if I was leaning towards one direction, it's towards this is too much. And, and like, you know, it was kind of okay the way it was. But 
this is what we got. And so there's going to be more funny stories. There's going to be more interactions. Uh, I read some meme uh, about like Joe Kelly telling the guy, you should check my glasses out because these things are sick, you know, just like, <laughs> you know, the pictures are showing. So we're getting more picture personality. So there's a plus. So there's, but there's pluses and minuses to all of this stuff. But I am interested to see, you know, how many injuries start happening, how many, you know, pitchers getting hurt, like Glasnow, if you listen to what he had to say. Uh, he had to grip the ball tighter. I guess that's how he had to pitch. And then he felt his elbow. And now he's, you know, we're, we're missing Glasnow. And he was having a crazy, awesome season. That was one of the better explanations. Because, you know, here behind my keyboard, I'm not entirely sure of how, okay, so you no know, sticky stuff leads to arm injuries. I, I don't get that. And the way he explained it, it's just like, I got to get that in there. And that's changing, you know, the stress on my elbow. It's changing how I'm gripping it. And and just everything it's it's affecting every part of my body my, the kinetic chain if i am putting that in a different spot holding it differently and the way he explained it was just uh it's just so lucid it's like oh okay that makes a ton of sense it was one of the more important interviews is as far as public relations and just getting out there like we're not trying to get out there and cheat and spin rate our way to the moon like we're just trying to get a grip on the ball and that's all we're trying to do. And I think it's important for people to know. Yeah, and I wouldn't say that that goes for everyone, you know, what Glasnow said, but it makes a lot of sense where he was holding the ball like a you know, like a like an egg, like very softly. And like, imagine, you know, he's throwing 100 miles an hour, that torque on your body 100 times an outing. And then now all of a sudden tense up your forearm to hold the ball so it doesn't slip out of your hand and just fly to the at wherever and throw it 100 miles an hour 100 times mentally for me i guess like i know how painful that is i just am like yeah you're not gonna last in that interview in the middle of it he said one of the funnier things and i don't think he meant it to be funny but he said did i get hurt because i didn't have spinning stuff no i got hurt because i'm six eight and i throw 100 miles per hour and it's like that kind of awareness is like, yeah, no, that that is a different kind of vibe. Like, you know, that he is just a different kind of pitcher. And that's why he was top prospect. But it's just the idea of like being that large and throwing 100 miles per hour. That's unique. But in addition to that, like it, I had to change what I did on the fly. And that's a double no good. Glassdoor is a really fun person to talk to. Always a good interview. He gives you the real uh, I got to meet him one time with a, a dinner with Matt Duffy, one of my old teammates, and it was incredible conversation. I'm super excited to watch him as he goes on. Very sad that he got hurt. I do want to bring up a conversation I had with my brother that I think is very exciting, and it's a very topical thing because we're witnessing someone who might be changing the game in a really bright way forevermore, and he's showing what's possible, and that's you know the Shohei Otani. You know, the fact that, you know, his week last week, it was like, you know, six days he hit a homer, one day two homers, and the other day he had like six innings pitched and won the game. You know, my brother was talking about, you know, because I have all the nephews and they're all in Little League and doing all the stuff that, you know, obviously you do that in Little League, but they're doing it in the minor leagues. There's more players trying to do it. There's more players in college trying to do it and not trying to, they're doing it. It's kind of exciting. And the fact that like, this is now possible because of what Otani's doing. What are your thoughts on like more people doing what Otani's doing? I think one of the first episodes we had, you brought it up that it takes a just a different kind of athlete. And obviously it takes a different kind of athlete. But insofar as is that you're not able to prepare as much as just a pitcher. You're not able to prepare as much as ju just a hitter. If you're just a hitter, you're getting reams of data. You are being instructed, okay, this is where they're going to pitch you. This is where your hot zones are, your cold zones are. Attack this in the strike zone. If that's even if that's a strike, don't swing at that. 
but it feels like when you're trying to do both, you have to have an athleticism that is so above and beyond that you can just react. You can just say, here's my fastball. Here's my splitter. You can't hit it. And, you know, I don't need to plan for you because you, I don't know who you are, but you can't hit my splitter. And then as a hitter, just like throw it up, throw it in, throw it out. I don't care. I'm just going to go for it and hit a bomb, a 500 foot bomb. So it takes someone like Otani and there aren't going to be that many who can do it and be that successful. But yeah, if you're talking about like a guy like a Michael Lorenzen and more of these guys coming up and coming up, it's fun to watch. So I would hope that there are more of them. I think of like Joey Gallo because I know that he had this big thing of like, was he going to hit? Is he going to pitch? And he throws, he has this like electric arm. You know, that would have been super cool to see if like Joey Gallo learns how to pitch. But yeah, there is that whole thing about the proper preparation, but maybe it's too much preparation. And also there is a really fun thing about hitting every day and realizing like how nasty certain pitches are. And then going on the mound, if you have the ability, you're getting the battle from both sides. Like catchers kind of have that, like where they're, they're constantly in like, you know, what, like what pitch is being thrown from every pitcher and like India, like what's the pitcher thinking? What's the catcher thinking? What's the hitter thinking? And then Buster was so good at this is like, you know, I know as a catcher, if that I just seen that foul ball or this, that, and the other, I would have thrown this. So like, he's really good at anticipating what's coming. So there is also a benefit to just being in there every day and then going on the mound. There's like, it's something that we haven't seen before that your mind is always sharp, focused, and like, you're just locked into the rhythm of the game. It does seem like there was a trend. Uh, I'm not sure. I think it was 2017, 2018, where you had the Rays drafting Brendan McKay. You had the Reds drafting Hunter Green and saying, like, we're not sure what's going to happen with them. Maybe they're going to be hitters. Maybe they're going to be pitchers. We'll let them figure it out. And it seems as if they have sort of gone one way or the other where, you know, Brendan McKay uh, hasn't thrown a pitch since 2019. Hunter Green, I think they just want to focus on him throwing 120 miles an hour, whatever he throws. It sounds so good to have like an Otani, you know, to develop your own Otani. At the same time, when you have a prospect, baseball's so hard. Isn't it just hard enough to make a, a really good baseball player in one way or the other? It seems like you're, it's exponentially harder to try and make them into a good pitcher and a good hitter if it doesn't come just like that. Like it, you know, well, I mean, it didn't come like that for Otani, but it just, it wasn't like the Angels had to develop it. He just arrived fully formed. And he was kind of a special one where like that was part of his negotiating is he's like, look, like, you know, everyone's, you know, wants to bring Otani in and there's like an X amount of dollars they can pay. And he got to demand, I want to hit and pitch. He didn't want to do just one. This was like, literally, he got to demand it. And I'm not sure if like players really get that in the minor leagues in the normal system, get to like make that demand. And you're kind of at the, what the organization wants you to do is what you have to do. And even in the minor leagues, a lot of times they're overtraining these kids. They're like, they're hyper doing everything so that they make sure that they cross every, they dot every I and cross every T. You do way more than is actually necessary for the most part when you're in the minors with whatever it is you're learning. You over teach so that like they, they have like every little thing known. And like to be overtaught in both pitching and hitting could be very difficult. And but like Otani was just kind of like, like you said, it was just kind of delivered. He's like, this is what I what I want. I'm going to figure it out on my own. And he kind of had this like balanced progression. But it is unique. I hope we see more of it because it's fun to watch. Now, let me ask a question. When Otani came over, he was choosing between seven teams. He was choosing between the Angels, but he also had the Dodgers, Padres, Mariners, Rangers, Giants and Cubs, I think. Could he have done a National League? Like, it, it, it felt like at the time, no, 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 the Mariners, the Rangers, the Angels, they're in the lead because they can offer the DH. But could he, if he just said, you know what? No, I want to play right field. 
how does that ramp up the difficulty? Is it just exponentially more difficult? Now you got to learn the art of fielding in addition to the art of hitting and the art of pitching? Or is it just like, now nah, throw me out there, I'll figure it out. Uh, how difficult would it have been for him? I think it's very difficult to add the running and the uh, the wear and tear on the body of like playing defense every day is yeah it's it's a huge toll on the body like DHing and that's why you see you can see like the Nelson cruises and like these you know it, but but we're we're watching Albert Pujols do some cool stuff you know now in the National League and playing a lot of first base but it really makes it a lot easier on like the older players to have that DH and to not you know that this pure hitter that like can definitely change the game couldn't probably be in the lineup as much if he had to play defense. And the same for like someone who's also pitching every fifth, sixth day. So I do think that it's a nice little spot for him. Obviously, the National League would be cool because when he did pitch, he would hit. Uh, and then maybe he's like a pinch hitter. But I think the fact that Otani's gotten as many bats as he has and he's gotten to develop in the big leagues and really build his confidence into this like elite, elite hitter that he is, I think really helped. So I think the American League is a great fit for him. Talk about that a little bit, because it seems watching, just watching players, you know, defense is defense. You're standing around, you'll run, you'll make a catch. Talk about how hard it is on your body, especially as you get older. I mean, I know for me, I'm 43. I dove uh, for a ball that my daughter hit in softball and I almost died, but I'm not an athlete. You know what I mean? Like, that's me. I shouldn't be running around and diving and, and tripping over gopher holes. When you're a player, the difference between a 25-year-old and a 35-year-old as a fielder, an everyday fielder, that's pretty substantial. Uh, wear and tear difference on your body 25 year old versus what 35 oh a huge difference at the same token like the 25 year olds and, and a lot of times like veterans will be like get out of the training room or whatever but i just i do remember being 25 and 26 and being in a lot of pain because i was able to go so hard at that age that i went like over hard and like had like i would wake up like i got hit by a train every day and have to like start from scratch of like figuring out how to get my body back into, you know, and then warming it up as the day went on. So I definitely, you know, when you're playing every single day as hard as you can, like there's no, at that young age, it's like hyper hustle and like you can really get after it and you're really diving everywhere. Like you think you're Superman, it takes its toll. And as you get older, you get smarter and able to balance and manage, you know, you just get into rhythms. You're able to do so much more at 25 than at 35. And you have to be so meticulous with everything at 35 versus where you, where you had to be at 25. And what is the hardest on your, is it the diving? Is it just going down getting back up or is it the running? Is it on the knees? Like what's, what's the hardest toll that it takes on your body? It's hard to say, but I, I like the exact thing. I think it's like the kind of the combo because you're running like three, four miles just just running on and off the field. And that's like, you know, you're, you're in a squat every, you know, and you're in metal spikes or whatever. But honestly, even like the sliding, like my knees were always so bloody. Like I would like stick to the sheets everywhere I went. It was disgusting. And like you have to rip them off and like ripping off your, you know, whatever your undergarments are, like your socks or, or tights or whatever. And that was very painful because like you either had a strawberry, like they were everywhere. Like especially when you're playing every day and you're getting hits. And, and usually I would say the better I'm hitting, the more pain I'm in because, you know, you're trying to steal bases and stuff. And that really is a violent action. The fact of just like sliding these, these dirt, the dirt out there is not soft. My career ended when I was 16, no D1 scholarship offers, but I remember that raspberry on my right knee that just, it popped up every February and it was there until June, July and just, it would just come off and I could, if, whenever I wanted to, it was just like, a, I could take off a raspberry. That's, and I'm assuming that that's just for a major league baseball player who's doing 162 games out of the year. You got raspberries on top of your raspberries. Yep, it's constant. Like even when you perfect like the proper padding that also allows athleticism, because I did get to where I had like really nice 
knee pad that I that was able to finally because I would slide both knees on whatever was trying to get out of the way and I still messed that up when I got older but I did like get where it was like not as bad but when I was young I just went out there raw and just like ripped everything to shreds so you get smarter and you get better at at managing and balancing everything and really like perfecting like your craft to where like you can make it out there every day and bring a lot to the table with like less effort if that makes sense but more warm-up and less effort but accomplishing more like nature, man. Do less and accomplish more. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, Nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash theathletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. So what level of maniac intensity were you at in your career when you made the the pence at the fence catch? So in 2014 against the Nationals, when you're going back on a ball, I think Jason Worth hit it, and you're just going back to get that ball. What level are you being like aware of the wall or are you still in the mode in your career like I'll run through the wall? I don't care. I am 100% still in the mode where I will run through the wall. I would say that that was 100% the peak of my career as far as even like skill, knowledge, and athleticism. Like I was, I was extraordinarily fast still then. And yeah, I think that might've been the fastest I was, was like that exact time. And I was maybe like 30, 31, 32, I don't know, but I'd had great training. I was like, I was really locked in. So I do think in that World Series, I like I might have logged either the second fastest time, like fast, like I think I ran faster than Kane. It was the first time they had stat cast and I was moving faster than Kane, not as fast as Dyson though. I think he beat me. Were you faster than Matt Kane? I was definitely faster than Matt Kane. <laughs> Pablo actually, I think got up to like 17 miles an hour when he tagged up in that game seven against the Royals. And uh, I don't know if you've heard that story, but I was yelling at him like he had to go for it. He had to go for it. He just went for it. And we ran on Gordon. And um, anyway, I'm not sure how much you remember that. I do. No, I, I mean, I remember I remember all of it. That was my job to remember all of it and to comment on it. But it's the idea of learning how to play defense, maybe a little bit smarter rather than just all full out intensity, because I will. There are young players who come up and you see it. They're just going to go through a wall. And Kevin Pillars is one of the most famous examples because he he really did try to go through walls. So if you're a GM and you have a player, say he's a top prospect and he's 25 and he's got that Kevin Pillar mentality where he's just going to I don't care. I don't care about boundaries, physical harm. 
are you telling him to, to ease it back or you just step off like, hey, this is just the only way he knows how to play. I'm not going to mess with it. In your perfect world, how how are you finding that balance for like a top prospect? Man, this is a great question. And, and it's something that I got to experience because I was that guy that they were like, be careful, be careful. And I finally ran into a wall. It was on a Ricky Weeks homer. And I hit the wall so hard that I, I'm pretty sure I'm, I don't know what I did, but I, I might have cracked a rib or punctured a lung. And we only had like two weeks left of the season, but I know that the rest of the season I was kind of swinging one-handed. It was very, very painful. It felt like a major car wreck. But I watch like, let's say like the College World Series is going on right now. It's very exciting. And I watch these kids like running towards the wall. And I've also seen like incredible players have crashes into walls that have ruined their careers. I know Jarrett Parker was like kind of in getting his moment and he was starting to heat up and he was an incredible talent. He did tons of homers and he made this catch into the wall and broke his collarbone and just never really felt the same. It can completely like what, when you break your collarbone, it's hard to ever feel the same swinging the bat. There's like a clankety clank in there. And I one time had to dive into first base when I was kind of younger with the, with the Astros and I clicked my elbow. It was like, I didn't miss that many days, but my elbow was never the same the rest of my career. I like never felt like super normal straightening it out. It was a lot harder. So there's like small little things that affect you the rest of the way. And you just have to figure out how to work around it. So I would 100%, I wouldn't be like, you need to like work on awareness, work on balls around the wall, but like go to make the catch. But you have to also be aware. We're going to work on being aware of the wall because we don't want to lose you forever because of this like crazy crash into the wall that you didn't you didn't pay attention. So I think it's a feel thing. It's not like, hey, you need to tone it down. We want you to go like Darren Erstead, you know, just crashing into walls, but with a little bit of regard. Not no regard, but a little bit of regard. I guess that's the balance I would look for. But I think you gotta you gotta practice it and you gotta like make them think about it before they get into the situation. You you have to talk about things. Now that's something I'd never thought about before. Wall awareness. Is that a skill that can be taught? Is it more innate than it might otherwise be? Is it something that you're working on from day one as a professional in the minor leagues, the lowest level as an outfielder, your wall awareness? Is that a skill that's that fans need to know about? 100%. It's a skill and it can be worked on and it can be built up. And like they have some really cool things. There's actually like virtual reality programs that start working on you, like being able to focus on multiple things at once. And you can like actually build it up as like, like just like you work out and just like you do hitting practice. You do like these mental skills practice because what it is is you're running, you're following a ball, following a wall, and also knowing where your other outfielders are. So it's like it's like this soft focus that has to be able to catch like everything happening at once. So when you're running for a ball and like let's say a crazy stadium like like where the Giants play, Oracle Park, and the fans are just going nuts, you can't really hear. So like you know a lot of times you talk communication, but you have to be super loud and super close. Like you won't hear them until like you're a step away because it's like loud everywhere. You have to have peripheral visions. You have to have like be able to do all of these things while running and knowing where the ball is. So like they had some really cool. There's really cool drills you can do with like fly balls where you like force them to look up. Like you can't look at the ball for like your first five steps. Like you see the ball go up in the air. You go running for five steps and then and like you go running to where you think it is and then you look up. So like you you have to get better at like just that great initial read. There's tons of fun things. It's a lot harder than it looks. And when you watch plays like what. Talkman's done these robberies. The one he did in LA, that wall is, I might've said this earlier, I don't know because I was so passionate about it when I saw it, the robbery of Pujols. That wall is so high. It is very hard to get up there. It's like, it's gotta be minimum eight feet. I think it's somewhere in like the nine, 10 foot. Cause I would walk over to all the walls to try to imagine robbing homers. And that was one that was like, man, this place is so high. 
That was the one I was going to bring up because, okay, I can fathom the kind of home run robberies where the guy, he's got his hand on the wall and he's timing it and it's a high arcing home run and then he's timing his leap. I can fathom that. You know, I, I can't, it's still amazing to me when it happens. The ones like Talkman's where it's on the fly and it doesn't seem like he ever looked back at the wall, at least not when the camera was on him. How do you do that? Is it the warning track? Are you, do you feel, or you hear thump, thump, and you kind of know it's time to go? Or is it just pure timing and, and instinct? That catch is so difficult because it's like, you have to jump at the perfect time. And like, like you said, he didn't slow down. Like you, when you see them get to slow down on the warning track, I don't know, maybe he, maybe he peaked early, maybe he peaked out of sight, maybe he had his steps down because they do say to like count your steps. But to me, that never made sense because it depended on how fast I was running. It depended on what angle. Cause sometimes you're running on the warning track, like a straight line. Sometimes you're running kind of diagonal and he was running kind of diagonal. So it's different amount of steps, no matter, like depending on the angle at which you're going. And that was kind of a line drive. It wasn't like this high ball that he just needed to like climb the fence. So that full running, perfect jump, perfect timing, perfect catch is insane. It's super fun to watch. I don't know exactly whether, sometimes you just get lucky. Sometimes you just black out and you're just like, I'm just going to catch this ball and this is when I need to jump and it happened to be at the right time. And sometimes maybe he had looked and seen it's a skill. So he either got really lucky, but he did another, he had another robbery uh, not too far after. So I think that this guy is very skilled. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck t-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB Show. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This leads us perfectly into something I really wanted to talk about and get into you, Grant, with you, Grant, is how much is defense helping the best teams? 
You know, this was the overall theme of the podcast is going to be defense, and I was so excited to talk about it. It's easy to to say, oh, this team's hitting and this team's pitching. It's much more in vogue over the last 10 years to try and separate out defense and pitching and and trying to talk about what the good teams are doing with run prevention because the Rays are, they're in a little bit of of a slump right now, but the Rays are near the top of the AL East because they have good pitching, but also because their defense is just excellent. And that is like, you know, it's a cliche to say it's the new money ball, but it's it seems to be something that's a little bit undervalued that a team like the Rays, a team like the A's can mess with. And right now, the top five teams in outs above average, you have the Rays, the Astros, the Giants, the A's, the Cubs. I mean, good teams. It's not like that's a that's a coincidence. It seems like defense is a common thread. Is that the stat outs above average that's the most important you think that shows an overall team's collective defense? I believe heavily in defense. I can see it with my eyes, but I don't know how they quantify it in a stat. Yeah, no, I can explain it like this. Someone smart said it was good. And so I go, okay, I'll pay attention to that. Like I can't, the actual ins and outs of how it's calculated, I'm not so sure of. But here's what I do when I look at defensive metrics. I'll look at one, I'll go, oh, okay, that's interesting. And then I'll look at another and go, oh, okay, that's interesting. Oh, and that correlates with this. And I'll look at another one and I'll go, oh, okay, that correlates with this and that. That one team that was at the top here is at the middle or bottom here. So I'm still not entirely sure what's going on there because the defensive metrics will will argue sometimes. But when it comes to outs above average, one thing that I noticed that was funny is that if you go by outs above average on Baseball Savant, it's it's a Major League Baseball I'm site. looking at it right uh, now, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you you go Rays, Astros, Giants, A's, Cubs, right? That's top five. If you just sort by fielding percentage, which is a hundred-year-old stat, you have the top five in fielding percentage, Rays, Astros, Giants, Athletics, Cubs. I mean, it's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. So there is still value in fielding percentage. I'm not sure how predictive it is. I'm not sure if a team doesn't make a ton of errors in the first half of the season that you can automatically, you know, just guarantee they're going to make fewer errors in the second half. At the same time, it tells you what happened and it tells you they're catching the ball. And that's a pretty darn valuable thing to have. I think that it, it does make a big difference. Now, the other stat I wanted to ask about is like, what is it? Is it runs prevented? Is that the other one that you sent? Defensive runs saved. And that was a little bit different, but not much different. The Rays are still in first, but then the Rockies are are up here. It goes Rays, Astros, Rockies, Nationals, Mets. So what is the difference in defensive runs saved versus outs above average? No idea. And I'll be completely honest with that as far as like what goes into the secret sauce. I know that defensive runs saved is trying to give you uh, a, a sense of this team is is saving more runs because of their defense than the average team, whereas outs above average or this team is making more outs. It's it's a difference of like scale. Like this team is, they're taking the outs and translating them into runs saved. I do know that the Rockies are ranking highly because I haven't seen a ton of it, but from everything that, that I'm seeing, Josh Fuentes is apparently a maniac at third base. Like almost every stat that I'm seeing, every thing that comes up with the Rockies. It's like Arenado left and they just somehow found some of his DNA in the clubhouse and made a new Arenado and threw him at third base. Like I have no idea how it's happening, but every metric has Josh Fuentes is just being a maniac. You know what is actually cool about that is I want to throw some love to not only uh, the infield coach of the Giants, who's been so incredible for so long because we've had so many great infielders, but the Rockies are notably 
like an insane infield and it's super annoying to go there and like obviously it's fun because it's a great hitters park but they always have incredible infields like it went from like you know Tulowitzki to Story DJ LeMahieu was just disgusting for so long you know Arenado into now Fuentes so like when I see that many incredible infielders in a row in the same organization you have to sit there and go who is coaching these guys and what are the things that he's doing because there's definitely people who just have this magic touch, especially with infield, and it's a huge whole other science. I mean, getting the most out of these players and teaching them, I don't know. I don't know what he's doing, but all I want to say is I want to show some love to the Rockies in the infield because it's very hard to work there as far as like with the atmosphere because it's like super draining at Colorado, but they always have incredible infields. Do you have any idea who that is? Let's just show him some love. I Not off the top of my head, I don't know how consistent it's been. I know there's been a lot of turnover in the last couple of years there, but this is a good point because DJ LeMahieu, Tulowitzki, and then just going from Tulowitzki to Story, that is like Ted Williams to Yastrzemski kind of in a defensive way, but it's it's like, how do you go from Williams to Yastrzemski to Jim Rice in left field? It's like, there's there's no break in the chain of command. They're going from Tulowitzki to Story, and I don't know who's behind Story, who's going to be there next year, but uh, there's some big shoes to fill because... If I remember correctly, the Rockies infield, don't they cut it a little bit shorter so the ball is, is a little bit faster? Am I remember that correctly? It moves very fast there. Because I always remember when people would complain about when Coors Field was at its Coors Fieldiest, that there was still still some thought of like, could they at least grow the grass up and slow some of the ball? Like, take a little bit of that uh, offensive advantage away? I mean, did that ever bother you when you went to a place that had higher grass than others? Or is it something that you didn't really notice? No, you totally notice. And it, it's annoying. You know, I think of like Pittsburgh, a lot of times will have really large grass, especially actually in the outfield, which grips the ball and makes for really weird first hops. It's actually super tough in the outfield at Pittsburgh because the, the, they leave the grass so long that when, like, say a hard line drive is hit at you, it could bounce and come straight to you. It could bounce, get caught, and take a huge snake right or left. You can't be too aggressive there. It's, it's caught me a time or two with these weird, weird hops. So, like, you'll see that in Pittsburgh. You have to pay attention to that stuff. It's like all these weird little things you learn as you're going. Is It's just like, you know, everyone says, like, pay attention to the way it's bouncing, but also pay attention to the hard line drive first bounce. So, but, yeah, I definitely noticed that. And there was, like, like I felt like Colorado, when they had a couple of the sinker ballers, like, they had, like, Ubaldo Jimenez, who wasn't really a sinker baller, they had Cook and a couple of these guys, and they had the grass long like one year. But other than that, it's always been really fast, and you get tons of infield hits. I'm looking right now, though, at the number one outs above average Rockies player, and it's Garrett Hampson. That guy is fast. He is very fast. <laughs> Hampson's interesting because he plays, he splits his time. He's got uh, 300 innings in center field. He's got 150, 160 innings at second base. So that's adding to his value. And the, the metrics at both for him are really, really, really positive. That seems like a, a wildly valuable skill to have. Like someone who can be a plus-plus center fielder in Coors Field, but that, oh, yeah, when you need me, uh, I'll be at second second base just picking it. All right, so this is very interesting, and this is just showing you. So I, I, I want to hit on some theories here, but I want to just show a little more love. So I'm looking at like the top two because I was looking for uh, Fuentes, and I didn't really find him in this outs above average. But number 15 overall is second baseman Garrett Hampson of the Rockies, and then number 36 overall is Ryan McMahon, second baseman of the Rockies. I mean, it's just infielders. It's infielders, and they're splitting time, and they're both like obviously doing something great. So. That just, once again, shows more light on that guy being really good. I mean, obviously, Brandon Crawford's up there. Uh, Mauricio Dubon at second base. So there's my two uh, my two infield coaches that, and I'm partial because I spent a lot of time in the NL West. 
and I've just noticed how good those infields are. Are like the Giants, notably great infields. You know, we've gone, you know, Joe Panic, Scudero, you know, Belts, always just smooth, super underrated as far as defense. Crawford's Crawford, but Pablo was nasty. You know, Duffy was great. All of these guys that came in. So Wotus just gets the most out of these guys. And now we're watching Dubon and we're watching everyone that, that steps in is pretty incredible. But I wanted to come to you, Grant, and I told you I was going to give you some special sauce. This is the special sauce. Hunter's special sauce. I don't know if that sounds good or bad, but <laughs> I'll slather on a burger. <laughs> nah, definitely don't put that on a burger. Uh, but anyway, my thoughts on like, like, let's like play the dream building a team. And like, so we've hit on defense, we've hit on OPS, and we wanted to talk a little bit. Pitching and defense, though, to me is A number one. And there was this game back in the day called Baseball Stars. It was a Nintendo game. And me and my brother used to always do this, like create a team. And like you get to choose if you want to be excellent pitching, power hitters, speed runners, all of this stuff. And like Howie, my brother, would always pick power hitters. You know, I would always go fast runners and I would just like buff up their speed and I would just get, I would, and then I would spend all of my money on pitching. So I would have one or two pitchers and fast runners. And like obviously when they were fast, they played good defense. So I've always had this dream of putting together this team. We just dial in, everything is on pitching, and then we look for speed guys that can play defense. And then like we just give them the at bats to where they can like keep putting it in play, keep putting it in play. And like that's been my theory. Like watching NC State right now, and I know this is we're talking college, we're talking major league, but something super cool, they're sitting two and oh in the college world series. They had a really terrible start, but they played the same nine guys every single game this year. The same nine. So if you're the tenth guy, you haven't had an at bat really. They don't use that many pitchers either. And the same nine guys, and now they're they beat Arkansas, who didn't lose a single series the entire year to get to the College World Series. So that's kind of like my theory is like let's get fast guys, let's give them a ton of at bats, play defense, be havoc. Like even if they get like a bloop or whatever and get on the bases, now you got a base stealers, bunters, whatever. So anyway, that's my dream like build a team scenario. What would you be your dream build a build a team scenario? Okay, first off, there are the athletic has uh, I gosh, I don't know how many writers, three, four hundred writers that they could have paired you with. There are a lot of baseball writers on the internet that you might be talking to right now if dominoes have fell, uh, fallen a different way. There is only one baseball writer, maybe a couple, who have written 3,000 word articles on baseball stars. I am one of the writers who has written a big long feature on my love of baseball stars. So I can talk to you about baseball stars all day. I can still, you know, did you use the cheat code? Are you doing when isn't it? When it is? I mean, are you, can you build a super team by memory? Honestly, I, I didn't know any cheat codes. We literally would just like create a new team <laughs> and we would just play, play tournaments. We'd play each other. We would, then we would run rule the lovely ladies if we needed to get money to like, you know, add to our team. So I forget exactly how it worked, but we're obviously a match made in heaven because we both have a deep love for baseball stars. I never did any cheating. We would just like create teams and create <laughs> tournaments and we would like, we would decide how much money we got to make by run ruling the lovely ladies, like three, four, whatever, how many times. And then we would like, you know, maybe we each had two teams and we'd build them a little bit different. But my teams that always won where when I just did super speed and there was a weird luck mechanic in the game that I didn't understand. And like you had to choose like what you were adding. Like, so if you spent money to upgrade a player or whatever, you had to choose, do I give him more speed? Do I give him more defense? And like, we had it all figured out like where you need to put your best defender. Like you had to have a great third baseman and a great shortstop, like had to have it because like there's like the swinging bunt that you had to cover. 
In Baseball Stars, definitely speed. I mean, speed ruled. And speed ruled because once you got up to 15 speed, you could get the computer in a rundown and they wouldn't be able to, to get you because you just run to the next base when they were throwing back to the other base. If I'm playing one of my buddies and he had 15 speed, forget it. He would just bunt, beat it out, get in an automatic rundown. There's nothing you could do about it. You just had to throw it to third base and just every ball and play was a double. Just throw it to third base and, and let them not play that game. So definitely Baseball Stars speed. You can strike them out. And you know, if you get a 15 defense third baseman or 14 defense, you can throw them out. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. It, my friends were much better than me. And it, it shames me to say that. But when we came back from college, so we all went to our separate colleges. We came back and then there was a week where my parents were out of town and my friends basically crashed at my house. And all we did that entire week was play baseball stars. A decade after, you know, we were kids playing it and there were new systems now, the N64 is out. We still fired up the Nintendo and played baseball stars because when you've got friends over and you're building your own teams and you got a league going and you're trying, that's the best game. I still, to this day, it's like the best multiplayer game I've played, even though it wasn't really multiplayer. It was a pretty special game and, and, and it kind of holds up. Like it's still fun. It's like fun every time. And like like working on like building the right pitcher and stuff. There's great games like, you know, I do still love MLB The Show. There's a lot of fun in that. And it's very realistic and very, you can do create a player and create a team and do the uniforms up. So they're both fun, but Baseball Stars, it's just a legendary game. It's a classic and it, it, it stands the test of time. It's still fun if you go and like start, start up today. Have you played Super Mega Baseball, any of those series? Uh, two, three, Super Mega Baseball? No, just RBI Baseball uh, and MLB The Show. And I played like some weird ones, but never that one. I would encourage you, if, you, if you're looking for something to download uh, and you have, I think it's on Switch, it's on PS, I think it's on Xbox. It's basically like a modern version of Baseball Stars where you can build your players up. The graphics are good. The gameplay is seamless where, you know, it, it feels like a really good baseball game. Like MLB The Show does, you know, it feels like a good baseball game in your hands. But it's also goofy uh, in all the best ways. So that's my little plug. They're not sponsoring the show, but Super Mega Baseball 3 is a, a pretty darn good game. Okay, okay, I'll have to check that out for sure. But I want to hear how you would build, like, like, do you think that this theory works in real baseball? There has to be a floor. There has to be, like, you can have speed, you can have defense, uh, but there has to be a floor to your hitting. Uh, you don't have to hit a ton. You maybe don't even have to be, like, if you're, like, a super super talented defensive center fielder like uh, uh, Kevin Kiermaier. You don't have to hit like Albert Pujols in his prime, but you have to have a floor where you have to hit at a, a basic level. And I think Kiermaier is a good example because his OPS will be you know, just brushing up about 700, just a little bit under. And that's totally cool. And if you have a team of eight Kiermaier's out there, it's probably going to work. And you're probably, it's going to be really fast games. You know, it's going to be really low scoring games, but like, that's the floor. Crawford, when he was uh, younger in 2012, as he's uh, 2013, you know, he's just sort of finding his offensive rhythm. That's a floor that's going to play and make your team better, even if you're not hitting a ton. So you start there, but it, it, there's limits. Like, you know, obviously Crawford, what he's doing now, and once you get up to the top and you're Mike Trout and you're doing everything, that's different. But if you're going to build around speed and defense, you can't just go all in and have a team of, uh, you know, like Juan Pierre. Well, not Juan Pierre. That's a bad example. A team Nathan of Juan Perez. Pierre's would be pretty damn would Right. Be pretty that'd be legit. fun as heck. 
that's actually the hitter I think of is like the guy that like wants to have a half cracked back because he doesn't want to hit the ball too hard, <laughs> and he just like can fly everywhere, can bunt at any time. It's just like I just you know, work on all of those skills. Like you just like train them in that, but you also have like you pump the power pitching. So you just go speed guys and 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 pitching. And, you know, you got guys that don't give up homers and defensive guys that can go get it. I, I feel like the Rays are, are kind of doing that. And, you know, they did definitely have like a little bit of a, a hiccup here. And every team's going to have that. Obviously, Wander Franco coming up is pretty exciting. But they're crazy pitching with like, you know, the Kier Myers and just like really great defense. And if you give guys a ton of at-bats, people will surprise you at how good they get, in my opinion. I'm not sure if the best team is the fastest team, you know, but I will tell you the most maddening team to watch is uh, when the opponent is super wildly fast. And I think to two teams, uh, the 2014-2015 Royals, like when you're facing a team of sluggers, the slugger hits a home run and then it's over. You, you've dealt with it. When it's a speedy guy followed by a speedy guy followed by another speedy guy, it's just like it's so anxiety creating and it drives me up the wall in the best way. It's an enjoyable baseball experience, but I have a problem watching those teams. It's like it's almost too much. Oh, I loved watching them, but speed is like my, it's my happy place. So like the Marlins <laughs> that won it, I don't remember what year was it? Oh, 2003. You know, they had Juan Pierre. There was another guy right behind Luis him. Luis Castillo. Luis Castillo. Those guys were incredible. And um, then I think like a couple of the other teams that like did this, uh, who was it? There was another team that, that really, like obviously the Royals went back to back. We, I feel, I feel like our Giants team, you know, we had like a Gregor Blanco, Angel Pagan. I was pretty speedy, but then we you know, we mixed in a Pablo and a Buster, which you can do for like you know. And Pablo wasn't the speediest, but but then everyone else was just like playing really great defense. We were built on defense, just you know fundamentals and good pitcher after good pitcher after good pitcher. That's impressive because after uh, like ten minutes after mentioning baseball stars, my eyes get up. I had the two thousand Marlins page up because I was about to start talking about what it was like to to watch Juan Pierre and Luis Castillo hitting back to back at the top of the order. It was it was absolutely maddening. All right, this has been episode thirteen of the Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week and we'll uh, we'll talk about baseball. That's what we do. All right, thanks for listening. I love coffee! <laughs>